0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired. Lauren Good is off again this week. Normally, I'd be super lonely, crying into my artisanal kombucha. But luckily, I am joined by two writers from Wired's reviews team, senior writer Adrian So and staff writer Parker Hall. Say hello, you two. Hey. Hi, Mike. Hi, guys. So this week, we are talking about e-bikes, you know, electric bicycles. They've come a long way in the last few years. Today's e-bikes are more powerful, more elegant, the designs have improved, they're lighter and easier to maneuver. Also, battery technology continues to get better and better, so e-bikes can go for miles and miles before conking out. If you live in a city or even near one, they also have the potential to completely change the way that humans move around, zipping between home and work and school on two wheels instead of four. At least that's the idea once the world opens up again. So later in the show, we're going to offer some tips on how to navigate the e-bike world if you're curious about buying one, but first let's talk about the growing trend towards powered cycling, as I like to call it. Now, Adrian and Parker, both of you have ridden and reviewed many, many electronic bicycles for Wired. So I want to start with you, Adrian, how did you get into e-bikes?
1: So I first started getting interested in e-bikes because I take my kids, uh, they're three and five now, and I take them to school or I did when schools were open. I took them in a bike trailer and hauling like two kids and two bags on a Thule bike trailer on my underpowered, my, you know, my analog bike or whatever, it was just so painfully slow and I have to cross this one road and my husband was genuinely afraid that like some 18-wheeler would just come <laughs> barreling towards us and I'd be like totally unable to move or like the axle would fall out on my like 10-year-old surly or something and so about like a couple of years before I started reviewing e-bikes he's just started like hinting really strongly like maybe you need a motor because you're too weak and too slow. So if you're going to keep doing this, you definitely need some help. So that's how I kind of got into it. What about you, Parker?
2: Um, I actually got into it um, out of sheer uh, laziness. I used to work in downtown Portland, and I had about a three-mile commute. Um, and the train took about half an hour, but biking took 20 minutes. Um, And there's a big hill on the way home and I got too lazy to uh, Analog bike it anymore. So I discovered e-bikes existed um, and I got one and I never looked back So I actually came at reviewing them sort of having already bought one for myself
0: you know, I think that's one of the things, like, Parker, what, what you were talking about, and also, Adrian, your story, that's one of the things that have proven to be a real boon for e-bikes is that people who otherwise would not have considered it get into it just because cycling for them, like, the things they have to do during the day are just a little bit too much for a, a non-electric bike, an acoustic bike, or an analog bike, whatever we call them. bike, I like <laughs> that. <laughs> We can just call them bicycles, right? Like <laughs> human <laughs> powered bicycles. Like if your commute's like four miles or five miles, maybe that's a little bit too far for you to ride a bike because you're not, you know, maybe super in shape or you don't feel like you're in shape or there's a big hill right in the middle of it. And like an e-bike is a thing that sort of gets you over that hump. I feel like.
2: Yeah. And it's also, um, at least it was amazing for me because you don't have to bring a change of clothes. So, you know, if you're analog biking to work and it's, you know, over three or four miles, um, you're definitely going to have to pack a change of clothes, um, or at least if you sweat as much as I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but on an e-bike, it's great. You just you can just wear your normal outfit, um, bundle up a little bit more, and, and you're good to go.
1: That's something that I think about a lot with e-bikes is that a lot of the people who are interested in e-bikes are kind of already bikers to begin with. Like, like I think all of us like came, like we were all the kinds of people who would use our analog human powered bikes around. So I've been kind of thinking about that as we're reviewing bikes is how do you get people who, um, other, who have, might've been taking transportation or a car onto a bike in the first place. So that's kind of something I've been keeping in mind as i'm reviewing bikes too you know
0: these things also used to be really clunky so maybe someone tried one a few years ago and didn't like it just because it was sort of like a tank but um the design has gotten a lot cleaner over the last couple of years
2: yeah i also think that they ride more and more like real bikes um i think some of the first e-bikes that i ever saw were sort of rear hub motor you know there's a motor on the rear wheel and the actual drivetrain of the bike isn't really directly connected to the actual motor that's powering the wheel. Um, and as, you know, Bosch and these companies have started making mid-drive bikes where the motor's in the middle of the bike and sort of works with your pedaling, it feels a lot more natural. So, um, you know, if you haven't ridden an e-bike in a while, sort of the, the new generation, the new style of e-bikes definitely feel a lot more like the bikes you're used to riding, in my opinion.
1: Definitely, and they've gotten so much lighter. Electric bicycles have dropped 20 pounds since I first started reviewing them in 2017 or 2018. Now when I get a 65 pound, you know, 65 pound commuter bike, I'm like, what is this? Is this 2018? (laughs) Like this is just way too, it's just way too heavy. They've gotten so much better so quickly. It's amazing.
0: To me, the big design innovation is getting the battery into the frame. You know, like there was something that really turned me off of e-bike design just a couple of years ago. You know, like the, the big brick battery sitting on the down tube of the bike, which is like the tube that sort of diagonally goes between the handlebars and where the pedals are. Um, it just looks like, you know, somebody took a mountain bike frame and just clomped a big sort of brick onto it. Now there are bike designs where the battery is completely integrated inside the frame. So maybe the frame is a little bit thicker, but it hides the battery and that gives it not only like a cleaner look, but it helps with sort of the weight management of the bike as you're riding it. Um, You know, your knees don't knock against it and it just, it's a little bit easier to balance because the weight is sort of distributed more naturally. Yeah.
1: It helps with theft too. Like... When I used to like bike to a bar back when we had bars, I'd have to use the key and take the battery off the bike um, to try to, you know, help people not leave my bike alone. And now, if it's just hidden in the down tube, it's so much less conspicuous. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think um, I'm. I wasn't ever so much worried about someone stealing a giant battery that really doesn't go to anything, but more. Um, that your bike is so easily identifiable as an e-bike when there's just a big battery strapped to it and immediately people think like, oh, that's an expensive thing to steal. Um, So I do definitely really like this trend towards making e-bikes look just like every other bike on the road. It's really awesome.
1: That's something to think about too. Um, I know that a lot of people um, are like, why would I spend, you know, there's, so, there's such huge variation with e-bike prices and components right now. And especially if you're looking at a bike with, that has a battery that's in the tube, like it's worth spending a little bit more money uh, to get a battery that's going to keep, uh, keep its charge longer. And you know during recharging cycles, um, that way you don't have to replace the battery in the mid drive tube or in the down tube. So that's something that I think about
0: too. Speaking of cost, um, the prices have been coming down considerably over the last couple of years as well. Uh, Where are we now with with e-bike prices?
2: I would say that you can get a very good quality e-bike now for about $2,000. I think below that is where you get to sort of direct to consumer companies and companies where you're going to have to put together the bike um, and it's shipped directly to you. And while we've tested a couple of those bikes that we actually like, more recently, um, a lot of those just don't have the same sort of quality components that you might want in a bike that's gonna be going pretty fast um, on the road and dealing with a lot of sort of torque and other forces.
0: Yeah, like over 20 miles per hour usually.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's something, I mean, Adrian kind of touched on it already, but I just really think um, I agree with her that going with a bike that has name brand components, you know, things like Shimano or, Uh, Bosch or big um, name brand bike part makers is usually a better sign for the bike overall Because you might spend a little extra money, but that stuff has really been tested by um, You know hardcore Usually mountain bike (laughs) Mountain bikers all over the place. So it's more durable.
1: Yeah, and I had one thing about that I wanted to say about DTC is that if you, like, especially with cheaper components, that uh, bikes are for real. They're not toys. I had an actual, um, I was assembling a DTC bike that will go unnamed in this segment, and it actually, it arced on me when I tried to plug the battery into the computer. Um, it, uh, you know, uh, electrical current jumped from one cable to the other, Uh, that's a lot of power. If it had gone through my body uh, instead of through the air, it might have stopped my heart. So that's another thing to keep in mind um, if you're going for cheaper components is that they don't always have the support and quality control that you might want for, for staying alive, so.
2: Yeah, big yikes i'm glad you're still here with this adrian
1: (laughs) assemble your bike outside so you stay grounded
2: (laughs) or honestly have have a professional assemble it
1: Um, yeah that too i think that's the
2: best method (laughs) i never can get my brakes to not rub (laughs) unless (laughs) i take it to an actual bike shop um
0: well let's let's take a break right now and then when we come back we're going to talk about some tips for people who might be considering buying an e-bike Okay, welcome back. Getting into e-bikes might seem daunting, but it doesn't have to be. For starters, we have a great guide to all the best e-bikes on Wired.com, which you should definitely go read. And also, we're going to offer up some advice on this show. So whether you're brand new to bikes in general, or just e-bikes, or you're a seasoned vet in the world of acoustic cycling, we'll do our best to help you get moving. Parker, I want to start with you. What's something that you wish people had told you before you rode your first e-bike?
2: So the main thing that I think of is that I wish someone had told me to get a little bit bigger, sort of more robust of a bike um, than I otherwise maybe would have bought. I think the beauty of e-bikes is that they have a lot more power. And so you can get something with a little fatter wheels. You can get something with shocks. You can get something um, that can hold uh, a week's worth of groceries. And you don't really have to worry so much about... um, being sleek because the power will be there.
1: Yeah. That's something that Parker and I have talked about before, uh, is frame size. Uh, we had, we reviewed one bike, the propella, um, which can fit both me who's five two and Parker who's six two, um, With an e- like, I mean, with acoustic cycles, they have to be fitted to you really well, um, because you're using your own body power to, uh, to, to move and that can put strain on, you know, your legs or your shoulders. But with an e-bike, you know, the battery is doing the biking for you. So you can play a little fast and loose with the frame sizes more so than you would with an acoustic bike.
0: Yeah. And the battery is doing most of the work for you. Like you're still putting in some work. So it's important to get something that, you know, matches you a little bit, but you don't have to get as picky about size.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm testing on I'm testing an acoustic gravel bike right now and you have to just get so much more finicky with like the with the stem height and like the seat height and all these things. I like I completely I was at the trailhead and I completely forgot that you're supposed to carry a bike tool to tinker with all these things <laughs> when you go out because I'm so used <laughs> to being on an e-bike now with like my yeah. knee pulled up to my chin or my arms, like over, like it doesn't even matter. It, it does matter. It matters a lot less on an e-bike than if uh, yeah. you're going for a 20 mile gravel ride.
2: But. That's true. And, and another thing I would say is, um, you know, a- along with frame size, one thing that I really would consider, um, that sort of supplements frame, uh, thoughts, you know, like, uh, with regular bikes, you think a lot about frame size and wanting it to be perfect for your power delivery on an e-bike you really wanna get a bike that's powerful enough for what you're gonna be using it for. So a standard 250 watt um, motor is probably fine if you live somewhere that's pretty flat um, and you know, you're know you trying to go sort of normal flat places that are easy to get to with maybe a hill or two in between. But if you live in San Francisco or if you live somewhere where you're gonna really be tackling um, big hills, you definitely wanna consider getting a more powerful bike You'll never regret having too much power, but you will regret having not enough.
0: Right. And, you know, that's, that's just carrying you. But the trend that we're seeing, especially in cities, is people investing in e-bikes as a full-on car replacement. Um, I guess this is more for you, Adrian, because you carry your kids around when you test these things. But what are some of the things that are important to look for when you're buying an e-bike to move your whole family around?
1: Um, Yeah, what Parker said is true. I would definitely um, invest in a bigger battery, a more powerful motor. Um, Let's see. Yeah, there are some hills around our neighborhood uh, that our top family e-bike, the Urban Family Aero, it has a feature that I really like, which is the continuously variable and violo shifters, which means Mm. Yeah, it means that um, normally when you're riding a bike, you have to be moving to change the gears. Um, But with the Enviolo shifters, you can shift while you're standing still and be on a lower gear when you're going uphill, um, which is something that you kind of really need when you've got about 300 pounds of bike and person and kid. uh, Yeah, you you really don't want to be like, you have your normal, typical, uh, uphill biker experience with like handlebars wobbling and you're like two your five-year-old screaming for her life like that is something <laughs> that I am pretty careful about um you want a bigger a bigger battery good uphill shifters and you'll probably need a couple of different accessories I've had to change out accessories as my kids have grown too. Like they were, at first they were in like the Thule maxi seat and then they were on the seat pads with the monkey bars. So
0: oh, the monkey bars are rad. They're
1: so cool. I wish I could ride them. I wish I could <laughs> ride there too. My husband's just going to have to pedal me around. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think another thing with e-bikes is it's actually, in my opinion, kind of all about the accessories and, and the built-in accessories. I really like bikes that have built-in racks. I really like bikes that have built-in lights. Um, it's amazing oh, when yeah. you never have to recharge lights again because you have a giant battery powering your bike. That's um, like the main,
1: that's like the best part about having a bike with a battery in it. It's just like when I get an e-bike without built-in lights, I'm like, why, why? Yeah. yeah. It's such an easy
2: <laughs> thing to add. Come on. Uh, and fenders. That's another thing to think about. Um, people who don't, you know, if you're already a cyclist, you know this, but if you're not coming from the cycling world. You definitely want to prepare for the worst weather. So I recommend fenders. I recommend a rack for holding things. You never know when you want to, you know, throw um, a bag of groceries on the back and go home. Your bike might not look as cool, but that's kind of the best part of e-bikes is that um, there's tons of cool accessories that can make all parts of your cycling journey so much easier.
1: Yeah, definitely. If you have kids on an e-bike, I also recommend um, a front basket. They have like these really cool floating front baskets now that are attached to a different part of the frame. So they don't throw, they're not like right on the handlebars. They don't throw your weight off when you're steering. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite new accessories to have come out in the last year or
0: so. Yeah, when you turn, normally like a basket, when you when you turn the handlebars, the basket moves with the handlebars, but these, the basket stays put and it stays facing forward, which is like the first 10 minutes that you're on one of those, it's really disorienting.
1: Yeah, it is, like, <laughs> or like my eyes crossed or something, but no, it's just magic. <laughs> uh,
0: so when when people are shopping for e-bikes, they often encounter statements about range, Right, like how far can the bike go on a charge, so what's a good way for people to sort of calculate how much range they should be looking for in in an e bike if they're considering getting one?
1: Oh my God, Parker, Have you done any of these like on these like oh my there are so many online tools for range calculation, and they are all like it's just completely bonkers, depending on where you live and how much you're carrying and what terrain you're going through like I have an online yeah. range I have an online range calculator. Built into the rad wagon, one of the rad wagons that I have now, and on one single ride in a grocery trip, it can estimate estimates my range is like five miles, forty miles, five miles, forty miles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. so I would say it it really depends on weather. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if it's cold, it's going to be a lot uh, less efficient. Um, It also really depends on power if you're gonna be having it all on you know If you're riding in turbo mode and going uh, 28 miles an hour all the time expect to get uh, In my experience at or below the manufacturers um, Low range. I mean so manufacturers typically give you a range in my experience they'll say like this e-bike goes between 25 and 45 miles and in my experience, you're never going to get the 45. And if you ride it really hard, you might not even get the 25. So I would just say err on the side of caution in terms of range. Get a bigger battery if you're worried about range. Um, and, a,
1: and a lot of bikes have, you can, there's an option for a battery extender. So if, um, if, I would say if your commute is longer than 10 miles, it might be worth keeping an extra battery, an extra charger, at work, because you never know what's going to happen on a bike. It's an adventure.
0: Yeah, true. So all three of us have been testing e-bikes for, you know, the whole time we've been at Wired and we're always evangelizing them. We're always talking about how much fun they are and how great they are for, you know, people who are looking for that experience. But in what I found is that the biggest hurdle that I hear from people. The biggest sticking point that I hear from people is that they just don't feel safe riding a bike around a city. Uh, and that's not really something that we can change. And it really kind of depends on where you live. But it is true that in this country, in the in the United States, we have an infrastructure problem where we value cars on the road more so than we value bikes and pedestrians on the road. Um, is this something that is like that e-bikes are going to help? Uh, you know, Is it easier to overlook infrastructure problems if you can go as fast as cars? Or is it just something that is like going to affect all cyclists, no matter what kind of ride they're on?
1: Yeah, if I want to say, I live in, we live in uh, Portland and it has one of the most bike-friendly infrastructures in the world with so many bike shops and facilities. And even here, it can be really frustrating and scary. Uh, there's one bike shop Uh, where if I pick up uh, a giant, a giant bike, you have to go up this highway with like 18 wheelers coming at you. And it's just, I mean, in general, I find it really, I mean, this is an experience we all have in common. I find the lack of bike infrastructure to be really frustrating. Uh, A really cool development that happened this summer was Portland blocked off a bunch of slow streets that made biking and and electric biking in particular uh, a lot easier.
0: We had that happen here in San Francisco yeah. also. Um, actually, the street that I live on is technically a slow street. It hasn't really done much to keep cars from going slow, but it has given people who want to go for a bike ride another place to do it where they don't feel constrained by the strips of paint uh, on the bike lane. And it's still like... I I see I I see a good thing happening, which is that like now that cities have adopted slow streets, I know they're in New York, they're in Chicago, other big cities around the U.S. um, People have experienced what it's like to have that in their community. And when the pandemic is over and we're living in like post pandemic America, the those types of infrastructure changes are probably going to get more priority. Because people have experienced them and people have, you know, enjoyed them and they don't want to lose that. And also those who may have been against it have realized through demonstration that they don't really have that much of an argument against them anymore. You know what I mean?
1: Especially because one of the best ways to socialize this summer was outside. Like I got so many more invitations to go on bike rides with friends this summer because it was one of the few, you know, safe distanced ways you could see everyone. So that was a really great thing to come about in a really sad way.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think the pandemic has really caused a massive growth in cycling in general and definitely e-bikes. Um, and one thing that's good about getting more cyclists out on the road is that, you know, sort of the more the safer um, and hopefully... Also, that will lead cities um, to build infrastructure that will benefit all cyclists. Right. You know, people often
0: criticize um, e-bikes as like, those are just wussies who don't want to put in the work of like pedaling an actual bicycle. But I think it's just, I think that's just absolutely the wrong argument. I think e-bikes are great because like you said, Parker, it gets more people out on the road, right? More bikes out on the road, more people strength in numbers, it allows us to have the sort of cycling utopia that we all as cyclists dream of on our city streets.
1: One of the bike shop owners that I talked to, um, he said that one of the, the biggest customer demographic he has are like older guys in their 50s and 60s who have been road biking their whole life. And as their like hips or like knees, like start to get a little bit creaky, uh, they can't quite keep up with their crews anymore, but they don't want to let them go because that's their main source of, you know, like social and physical activity. So you just get an e-bike and then you can just keep up with your friends. And I think that's totally awesome.
2: Yeah. Accessibility is such a cool thing that e-bikes um, enable. And I think, you know, I've heard people, you know, stories of people recovering from cancer treatment who are riding e-bikes instead of their normal bikes. Um, you know, all sorts of people with physical disabilities that, you know, made it so that it wasn't really, uh, effective for them to ride a normal style, traditional bike. Um, I think that's, you know, it's, it is an interesting thing because, you know, you feel some judgment sometimes riding e-bikes past these, uh, lycra clad cyclists. But what's funny is, um, it's, it's worth noting that if you're a regular cyclist who's been against e-bikes, um, you know, a lot of people have reasons they need to ride those bikes and it's not necessarily worth judging people just by, you know, just because they're riding by you in their work clothes and you're struggling up the hill.
1: I'm such a bad mountain biker that when we would go out for rides, my husband would have to bike to the top of the hill, run back down, find me halfway up and carry my bike up for me, like, (laughs) so that we could get home before dinner time. But now what's harder, that or just getting a motor, like, (laughs) like all I want, like I just want to hang out with my friends. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right. Well, thanks for the discussion guys. Um, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll have our recommendations. All right. Here comes the last segment of the show. Adrian, you go first, what's your recommendation?
1: My recommendation is a sun lamp. Um, I live in Oregon, and it's been raining pretty steadily for a month now and it's just i've ha- I had one before I didn't really need as much mood lifting as I do. This winter in particular, and it's just been a godsend. I just put it on for like twenty minutes while responding to emails in the morning, and
0: yeah, that's awesome. No, this is this is not like a like an alarm clock, like a sunrise wake up alarm clock, right?
1: No, this is like I mean, um, this is like the ten thousand lux, uh, a ten thousand lux Verilux. I think it has to be a, lo- a certain level of brightness to. Uh, mimic sunlight effectively. So, and it has to be shining like into your, like into your face. And you can't have it just like, you know, on the back of your neck or something. So I have it like on a book by, by my computer for maximum efficacy and I think it's working. I sound pretty peppy now. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
2: That's awesome. Uh, Parker, what is your recommendation for our listeners? I have been playing a lot of guitar during quarantine, and I've been trying to write better songs. And I discovered this trio of new albums, um, new old albums, I should say, by one of my favorite songwriters, Gillian Welsh. Um, Basically, she recorded these uh, songs in 2002 to finish a publishing contract so that she could, I don't know, write or record more music. Um, But it's dozens of songs that she recorded over, I believe, just about a weekend in Nashville in 2002, they're spectacular. A lot of them were done in one or two takes, and it's just so impressive how amazing she's able to record her music um, that quickly. And these
0: are on like Spotify,
2: Apple Music, Tidal, etc. Yeah, they've been coming out. There's three volumes, um, and the third one was just released, I believe, um, a couple weeks ago. So you can check out all three. They're on all major streaming services. Nice. So I'm gonna recommend a game. It's a smartphone game. It's called prune
0: p r u n e, and it's not about uh, the fruit. <laughs> it's prune the Verb. Um, this is a game that is like a touchy, swipy game where you're trying to grow a sprout out of the ground into a tree that can blossom and in order for it to blossom it has to hit the beam of light that is somewhere on the game board so you kind of have to like trim the tree prune the tree to get it to grow into a certain direction and to grow a certain length so that it'll hit the beam of light once it hits the beam of light um, it will sprout flowers and if you've gotten it far enough into the beam of light it will sprout enough flowers in order for you to advance to the next level. So it's kind of a puzzle game and it's beautifully designed. It's like a meditative, uh, you know, it's, it's inspired by inspired by bonsai gardening. So everything, the design of it is very Japanese. uh, And it has sort of that, like that Zen quality that you get from, you know, tending to your bonsai tree, except it's all sort of virtual tree pruning.
1: Oh, my God, Mike, I've been so into like these gentle meditative phone games since quarantine happened. Like that one sounds totally awesome. And then there's uh, the New York Times has a couple of those like different like gentle, gentle games. Uh, I think the one I'm obsessed with right now is Tile. You just like, hmm. have you played that one?
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: Oh my God. I'm just like, Oh, like so blue, so matching. So it's awesome. I'm going to have to check out prune too.
0: I think prune was actually featured in that, that New York times meditative games roundup that you're talking about. I think, I think it was in there. Um, and, uh, it's jumped up in the, in the app store and in the Google play store over the last couple of days because of it, I think.
1: Nice. Uh, the other the other meditative game uh, I just started was Kentucky Route Zero on the Switch. Have you guys played that one?
2: No. Mm-mm.
1: I think you guys. I think you might like it. Actually, like I I forget who did the music for it, but it's some like country music luminaries or something and it's just like a storytelling game that started out on PC so it's just like this gentle truck driver Conway like playing country music and going through like this Kentucky, Kentucky landscape with his dog you can name the dog I named the dog Blue like it's so it's so like like I'm not sure if it's going to end in a good way but for now it's soothing <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah
0: well, I can tell you that if you're interested in playing prune, it's four bucks and you can yeah. get it on Android or iOS. I don't know about the switch game, but I know. Uh, well,
1: the switch game is like 25, but I'm definitely going to have to check prune out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. Thanks to Adrian. So and Parker Hall for joining us. Thanks guys.
2: No problem. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us.
0: us. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. I should tell you that we are off next week. It's American Thanksgiving, the last week of November, so we are not going to be here. But Lauren Good and I will be back with a new episode on Friday, December 4th. Until then, if you have any feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth, who is a joy to work with. Goodbye. We'll see you on December 4th.